Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Blaster Cannon, Den of Geeks Star Wars and Expanded Universe podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Megan Krause. I'm here with my good friends, Paul Herman and Saf. We cover everything Star Wars, focusing on the canon outside the movies from the old expanded universe to current canon books and comics. So this week we're talking about Alphabet Squadron. We are super excited about this. I think this episode is going to be really awesome, especially because I have no idea what Paul thinks of this book. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to find out because Saf and I are head over heels for it and we're going to find out. (laughs) <laughs> as we analyze this book later in this episode. So, guys, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm really well. Um, I'm uh, I'm coming off uh, on my Marvel podcast, a giant uh, three hour episode, and it's uh, I'm just like man. And I'm I'm I'll be, I won't lie. I mean, a lot of people were saying that they wanted uh, you know Star Wars to have similar announcements that Marvel did, and and you know I see a little bit of people complaining and I don't, I don't want to say they're wrong or right for for thinking that way I, I kind of thought you know they're two different animals you know you can't you can't announce like 10 things for a Star Wars that just seems like crazy um whatever oh man, but I have feelings about that <laughs> but but what I will say this though is that we don't we I will say that there hasn't been enough announced in my opinion and I re, I think they do if they do have stuff, if again, maybe they don't have as much in, in in the oven as we we want, but if they do, they should start announcing it because people, I, I want to get excited about Star Wars announcements. I I need more of it, and I, I tweeted that out the next day. I was like, listen, I need more Star Wars announcements. Well, because... you were pretty excited about the announcements at SDCC this year, weren't you? Oh yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. for Marvel. <clears throat> or yeah. for the Star Wars. From Marvel, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was and, over the moon. I mean, a lot of us, I mean, a lot of us already knew about, though. That's the thing. Star Wars, too, because we're going to be talking about two yeah. major comics announcements and one semi-major book announcement later on. <laughs> I haven't been up to too much in Star Wars world lately. I have a review. I say that. I was reading two Star Wars books simultaneously, so (laughs) I'll leave it to you to judge what my normal level is, if that's, like, not much is going on. So, I finished Thrawn Treason, and we're currently on Force Heretic 3 in our New Jedi Order reread. That's the Vaughn cast from the Tashi Station Network, and so a lot of reading, a lot of chiss lately. Saf, what are you up to? Um... I just started a job at Starbucks, so I've been making coffee, and then I got the flu like three days into that, so I've just been <laughs> bumming around home, um, kind of just living vicariously through Twitter because I can't leave the house. Uh, well, we're so SDCC was exciting. <laughs> yes. I've been um, at home a lot. I'm I'm just freelancing now. I don't go to a day job now, so I'm home a lot, and I understand like that. Uh, kind of 
you feel shut in, right? I've been a little stir yeah. crazy lately. Yeah, I've definitely been getting stir crazy. <laughs> but we did have some announcements at SDCC. None of us were present at the show. I've still never been there. I've been told by my good friend Justin Bolger that I would love it, but I've never been there. And so um, we heard all these things through Twitter. But we have a couple cool Star Wars announcements. The one that really got me and that I know Paul is super excited about is a four-issue miniseries by Charles Soule called The Rise of Kylo Ren, which will finally, finally answer questions about Kylo's past and the Knights of Ren. I love this, partially because I want to recapture the idea of the Kylo in The Force Awakens, who is this very unpredictable, very frightening character. I want to see his fall. And also because Charles Soule is a very good writer to choose for this. I loved what he did in Lando, in the Lando series with the dark side, which he then carried over into his Darth Vader series. He writes the dark side with this very creative, almost physicality. It's something that's contained in things, right? The mask is the focus for the dark side and the way he makes that um, influence characters around that item is perfect for Kylo Ren's obsession with Darth Vader's mask. So, Paul, I know you have a lot to say about this one. So, go for it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is very very exciting because if, if you listen to the show at all in the last year or so, you would know that I am a diehard Charles Soule Darth Vader series. I I've gone on record saying that they are some of the best Star Wars comics you will ever read. I think they are. The, I, again, it's all subjective, right? But in my opinion, I don't think you can get you can do any better, whether it be Legends or the new canon or whatever. This these are the best Star Wars comics ever written, and Charles Soule is a, such a great writer. Uh, he's great. I love him. And when this was announced, it just blew my mind because he he had been teasing this for a little bit and on online or on Twitter, and then when it dropped, I just was whoa. And so, yeah, the, the inter- interesting thing about this announcement, in my opinion, is that there. He kind of he kind of uh, explained the origin of Darth Vader in a sense where not the specific like how did Anakin become Darth Vader, but how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader, if that makes any sense. So, uh, you know, where, when you had Karen Gillian's series, it was very much picking up right after A New Hope. It, you know, it crossed over with the Star Wars series. So he already was Darth Vader. Well, Charles Soule very much sets up the path of how Vader becomes Darth Vader, how he gets his lightsaber, how he gets his castle, how he kind of develops, you know, the the fear amongst everyone and the and maybe even the respect with with Tarkin, with Tarkin kind of being above him still. All that's in there. Um, so what I what I thought was cool was that the writer that pretty much did that with Canon is doing that, even though it's only a four issue miniseries, he's doing that with Kylo Ren. Yes. So so there is some kind of um, continuity or not so continuity, but some kind of a symmetry there of trying to get like some kind of familiar sense to, you know, because of it always seems fitting is what I'm saying that he has Charles the right Soul, resume for this. Exactly. Exactly. So there is there's a lot 
for me, I was I mean I, I was excited. What I thought was interesting also was I tweeted at Jennifer Huddle. Is it Huddle or Heddle? I'm sorry. Is it uh, Heddle uh, with an E? Heddle. Yeah, Heddle. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, I tweeted at uh, Jennifer Heddle and I said, Miss Heddle, uh, do we know who's drawing this yet? And she says uh, they haven't. I don't know if she said they haven't found one or they haven't. She kind of it almost seemed like she said like they haven't or she said they haven't lined one up yet. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Because this comes out in December, and they're only like it, it's six months away, I guess. It's or it's still like you know a decent amount of time. But I'm like, that seems like it's pretty quick. <laughs> you know, I, I would have figured they'd be drawing this right now, but well, they apparently those things out real fast. Comics well, so, industry is also under intense crunch, like the video games industry. <laughs> well, I mean, it really depends though, because in the comics industry, you have artists who are notoriously slow. And I don't, and I'm very curious because usually like a lot of times they have things in the bag and before they even announce it. So it's, it's, it, again, it's all very, it all varies, but if that's true, that's very fascinating to me. So, which I, I will say they must have something, someone who's quick, like you're saying, Saf, like right off the bat, if they, if they haven't lined it up yet. So, but obviously there must've, they must've had, they must've had to wait for, uh, JJ to finalize the story and and basically let yeah. them tell what he wanted to do. So uh, wrapping it up, it must my have been thought, very frustrating from a production side to get this comic oh, yeah. greenlighted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So wrapping up my thoughts, um, I'm obviously over the moon about this. I think you know, I someone had mentioned you know the only negative part about this is a it's a limited series, not like an ongoing series. And I was oh, you had to remind me about that. It sucks. It's true. I wish it was an ongoing series, but I will. <laughs> I, let me throw one name in in the hat, which I've been pounding the table for to come back to Star Wars, actually. Um, I had been saying this guy should draw a Knights of Ren comic for a long time. His name is Mike Diodato. He drew the Vader Down series. Um, his art is just so good. And uh, I think it would be perfect for the Knights of Ren. He's a great, great realism uh, comic book uh, superhero kind of um, realism as much you know as much as a re- more of a realism realistic take than it is like a cartoony take so uh it's very gritty and i would love to see that for uh kylo ren and the knights of ren in the series so yeah i'm over the moon charles soul you couldn't pick someone better than, as far as i'm concerned yeah like i'm not generally someone who gets excited about kylo ren um mostly because there hasn't been anything exciting about kylo ren for me to get excited about but finally getting stuff said before the force awakens that explains stuff in the force awakens is extremely exciting and i do find kylo ren an extremely interesting character in general uh which i haven't talked about much but it's a thing for me um and so hearing this announcement just like the rise of kylo ren i was like oh my god finally this is gonna be great and then when i saw charles soul's names attached to it i was just like over the moon psyched um i haven't been this excited for comics since I guess Landor, <laughs> mm. um, which says a lot about Charles Soule, but also like, God, I'm so excited to find out about what happened to make Kylo Kylo. I'm so excited. This is going to be an event too, because so many people have been wondering that this comic appeal, and I think Kylo Ren's character appeals to a wide swath of people. And this is going to be there, like a we, paradigm shift for the fandom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what pieces the fandom takes because you get a lot of different interpretations of Kylo Ren, but I am glad 
I would almost go so far as to say one of the reasons we have so many different ca- different interpretations of this character is because J.J. Abrams did not provide us some of these answers bef- during when The Force Awakens was the primary um, source material. Because we don't know a lot of his history or his motivation, fans have been able to interpret that the way they want. And therefore, this comic is naturally going to, you know, prove some fan theories and disprove others. But I also really like the energy. I keep saying energy. I'm not sure why. We're just feeling very new age tonight. Um, so I energy is like, not new age. It's a uh, it's 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 here to stay, Megan. That feels like a philosophical question that I do not know how to address. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. So, but I like the energy of this comic of knowing that the the fandom is excited about it and everybody's going to be talking about it. And it's focusing on a canon character that we're finally going to be able to take out of the mystery box. Yes. And if I may, I and I'm I'm gonna and I'm, I'll, I'm you might hear me talk more about this in our Alphabet Squadron thing, but I for one am excited that they're using this the the comic book medium instead of novels to tell the story. And I'm not sure if it's because of a short turnaround time, kind of kind of Saf alluded to maybe that could be part of it. I don't know. But I, for one, am so happy that it's 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 using my favorite medium outside of just TV. Again, I'm being selfish here. I'm just glad they're using comic books to tell the story. Because yeah, well, it's a format that works for you. That's a perfectly valid critical opinion, I think. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of even like even I prefer the story to be told via comics because I mean, mm. um, I I probably mentioned it on here before that I have aphantasia. I don't see pictures in my head, so when I'm reading books, I have no visual image of what's happening and with kylo ren and the knights of ren that feels very like a visual thing like their mm-hmm. aesthetic is yeah. very cool um and so having it in comic form means that i can actually like have a visual aid of this cool stuff unlike in a novel where it would just be like blank i would be able to read about the cool stuff that's happening but i wouldn't be able to see it whereas in a comic i can do both and i do like that mm. yes mm. yes yes yeah we can get the physicality of the characters and i mean both the kind of um, unique physicality that Adam Driver as an actor chose for the character, but also the, the Knights of Ren with their various weapons and their, all their different masks. And this is going to be, I think, an, an oft, you know, reposted comic just because of the look <laughs> of those characters. Yeah. Well, it, it's really funny you say that, Saf, about how you have trouble imagining things in your head. I do, too. And so I totally relate to that. And mm. I know, and I know you read books m- way more than I ever will. And, uh, more, and I, I wish I could read more, but I just can't. And that's why audiobooks are so, you know, work so well for me. But even when someone tells me about it, I still have a hard time imagining like something out of like thin air, if that makes any sense. So that's why Star Wars novels are always really helpful for me. Like, I, because I, it, I can usually borrow from other things if I need to. Yeah, um, that's something it, that I find useful with Star Wars stuff. Yeah, but at the same time, like you said, which again, you may hear more about this in this uh, later uh, review, as I keep teasing, uh, <laughs> about 
about this kind of very thing about you know different mediums and whatnot and and strengths and weaknesses. So, yeah, I, I, I but I think with with if you want to tell if you want to get like kind of like a, a real good nugget out there about these characters, comic books is maybe the quickest way of of all if you don't have a lot of prep time. And I'm and again I'm wondering if that is the case, but at the same time, comics is my jam and I'm super glad. So yeah, I'm 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 stoked. I don't want to get too speculative, but I'm also excited for this mystery box to be taken off of other characters as well. I oh, want to yeah. see a Ray series. I want to see something about Poe in between The Last Jedi and The Rise of yeah, Skywalker. Yeah, my baby 9E series? Come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll put that one on the, uh, on the list. So <laughs> I think we're going to be able to actually dive into these characters that we've been with for so many years but that have, to me anyway, always felt a little bit distanced from myself. Mm-hmm. So speaking of whether or not you can picture something going on in a book, we have um, news that as we kind of, no, I wouldn't say predicted, but considered was a possibility, um, there is going to be a print version of Dooku Jedi Lost, the audio drama. So in October, it's going to be printed as a book, including the script and stage directions. I'm excited um, er- about that. Earlier, we were talking about Paul noted that it costs about $20, which is the same price as the script for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which I thought was interesting because I guess we have a standard for printed audio or, you know, stage products now. Well, this I also- wonder because, um, I mean, printed scripts is definitely a thing because, I mean, I did theater in university and we would have to get scripts of the oh, plays you know what? You're right. that we were researching. But yeah. I never really thought about, like, I mean, I had to buy them from the university, so they were probably like 50 bucks. Um, <laughs> but I never really considered, like, uh, fandom wise what they would cost like i guess you're right i forgot for a minute that scripts like for theater exist i mean that's fair i do too all the time and i did theater um (laughs) but i'd never considered how much it would cost like from a franchise point of view i guess like hearing 20 dollars i was like oh that is pricey but i guess a lot of work went into producing it so it makes sense (laughs) <laughs> no, you know it does because I, I forgot the cursed child all about that book, and I, and that it's very similar. Who so, among us didn't? <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I, I got it for my wife for her birthday a couple of years ago, so I I I am not a Potter fan. So we're not talking about relative quality here. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I am really excited though to see to read the script and stage directions and actually see like. The, the decision making behind it because that's something you don't really tend to see with um audio stuff I guess or like anything else um <laughs> like you don't get the scripts of comic books like printed anywhere for you to read them or anything um and I love reading scripts of things and seeing how they were done and I'm really curious about the stage directions of this one because I had questionable thoughts about some of the stage directions in this um so it would be really cool to see how it went from script to audio uh, especially someone who's like really interested in audio dramas, I guess. I just think that's neat. And also I'm glad that they're finally releasing a version that hard of he- hearing people will be able to access, which yeah. good. Thank you, Delray. Kevin Scott on Twitter, the author, said that he had to take out some of his sillier stage directions. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really, number one, yeah. I kind of want to see them. Number two, I'm really wondering how much the directions will feel, how polished they will be. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
I really love I really love silly stage direction, so I'm sad to hear that. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're we can have the best Rogue Padron dramatic readings now. Oh my because, god. Because you'll have stage directions. <laughs> if I could convince Rogue Padron to ever go back to Dooku. <laughs> Oh no. And you know, we talked about Dooku last time. It was okay. I'm not super hyped for it, but this is a a new way that like I'm glad they're kind of producing it in a way that more people can access. And I'm not sure, I have no idea from the business perspective whether this is a sign of it did well and they think it'll be successful as a book or it did poorly and they're trying to make up for its lack of performance as an audio product. I have no idea. Or neither one. Or like, I think it's both. Or, or not how both. the contract was. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it did well. I mean, even if it did well or not, they're going to, it's Star Wars and it's commerce. We're going to throw out and, mm-hmm. and make even more money. Because, again, I was I was talking to someone about this the other day because uh, this isn't on our docket, I don't think. But really fast, we can tie it in for another Star Wars item. Uh, Star Wars Resistance is being released on season one in a couple of weeks. And oh, it's yes. DVD only. So what's interesting is that I was talking you know people were complaining about why no blu-ray i was one of them and um they also said um or i was talking to, to uh jonah uh, from the wookie gunner and she had mentioned that well probably because people maybe not as many people saw the series so they don't you know it's whatever and maybe they'll change their mind if a bunch of people buy the dvd kind of again paraphrasing what she wrote but we were just talking about it and then i started talking about other people started chiming in saying well it's because physical media is dying etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and, and i'm going to say this right now Star Wars and Marvel and, and and really specific franchise things like you know Harry Potter, there are always going to be a market for physical media in some form because we are collectors and we want to have things to display. And yeah. if you know if we if you want a room of just posters and that's it, but that's we just we want and plus people some people like to have physical media too, right? I don't want to you know say that I you don't. If but, DVD is like for ease for like because it's for kids maybe. It is. A lot of parents mm-hmm. still have DVD players that they use for their kids. I know my sister does for her nephew. Like they use DVDs a lot. Um, I wonder if that had something that. to do with the decision. Well, they're cheap. Well, for her, there's a number of reasons why I think. I think she. I think that it's not wrong to assume that there probably wasn't a viewership worthy enough. I think to keep to make a mass quantity of Blu-rays or 4Ks or whatever. Um, but at the same time, I think that with resistance or with, with kids. You you want kids to get invested with the stories, and you can and again a DVD is a lot cheaper than a Blu-ray. Like it's only twenty bucks for the whole season. That's not bad. So on DVD, of course, but again, standard definition standard definition is not going to be as good as HD. But at the same time, it, for kids, you know, you don't want to spend a bunch of money and have them ruin it. You can buy the D- DVD. It's only twenty bucks, and you get like the whole season. And if it gets scuffed up, it's not a, that big of a deal, I guess. So. I think it's it's also uh, I know other people do it too or other companies like Warner Brothers they this is gonna sound silly but uh, they put <laughs> out I think like, like a, a Scooby Doo and Batman cartoon like a, a newer cartoon like um, just recently in the last year and that was DVD only and I saw people complain about the same thing and that was a straight to DVD uh, movie so it wasn't like it didn't have a pretense of you know they they put it out and there was low ratings but they just put it out on DVD because it's just they, there'd be a small market for it, but not enough to warrant maybe putting it on Blu-ray and things like that. So what I guess what I'm trying to get at is with with even uh, Jedi Lost, 
even though it would assume that maybe the, the audio drama didn't do as well as they thought it was going to, they were always planning on doing this because they knew people were, again, there's a small section of people that are going to buy, or not small, but a, a chunk of people that are going to buy this up enough to where it Like me. <laughs> like me too. They like, get the weird drama nerds who are like, oh, a script. That's so exciting. Yeah, exactly. And so and there, there's enough of a niche market. And, there, and that's what I'm saying too with Star Wars and, and physical media in some form or another. Even, even it might be more limited, but at some form or another, there's always going to be a physical something to go along with it. Because people like me and you, and perhaps, I'm, I'm, I can't want to speak for you, Megan, but I'm assuming in, in some certain regards, there is some examples you would do that for. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you make a good point about how there is always that group where, like in marketing, right, you're always trying to get hardcore customers or viewers. When I was at the publishing company that I worked at doing business to business, we were trying to get hardcore, quote, readers, which are people that would come back multiple times a day. And you would get um, kind of the diagram of people of visitors is you have a scattering of people that visit the website every week or once a month and then you have kind of a scattering and then you have this group of fewer people that visit more often and those are what's going to keep your numbers good because they are just interacting so much that even if there are fewer of them they are still and they're like the bottom like of the funnel of how you attract people they're all the way down at the bottom but they are interacting so much that they provide you with a lot of your viewership. And I think this is a good thing that you bring up, which is a case of about Star Wars in general and is not maybe unique to this, but is the way you illustrated it was good, I think, is you do get collectors who buy everything. I don't consider myself a collector. There are, I, I purchase the things that are especially intriguing to me, but that is a very you know, big subset of Star Wars. And there are also people, and I kind of hate to say this, but this also does get into, there are people who resell this stuff. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's the type of of fan experience that I am usually involved in. But that's also another part of, like, the commerce aspect, is there's this second commerce of resellers and people who collect and then um, let the value increase, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, if it's going to be that way in the future and maybe it will. I don't know. I just, I think in our lifetime, it's just, I don't think physical media will be totally extinct. It may not be as prim- prominent and it might be more specialty, but you know, as far as reselling, you know, I don't like books and DVDs there. I don't know. I don't know about that. It just really, it really depends on how limited things are the more limited it is the more sought after it is i don't think it happens as much with books as with action figures or or toys oh yeah yeah no for sure for sure so yeah i don't know it's really interesting jedi lost the 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 physical script you know again i i wasn't surprised i i kind of at the same time though i think they probably how about this and I'm, i'm very curious what you guys think about this they probably should have released it all at once Instead of having like, do this, now do this. Like, if you're going to do it, do it all at once so you promote the whole product as a whole instead of just in separate things. Does that make any sense? Like, I feel like they could have maybe generated more of a buzz for their product if they would have released both at the same time. 
It does. I don't know enough about either the marketing strategy I don't or either. the original I, yeah. contract to say. I, I will. The thing I do think about that is that doing it this way is an interesting, an interesting reaction to spoiler culture because not that this is a huge like year event. It's not like this is a saga movie that your people are worried about spoiling. But there is an aspect of if you talk about something on social media, you need to be quiet about it at first. And if you, if the thing is popular enough, if it still gets talked about even after the quiet period. So I think this is interesting because it means that I'll be able to say, quote things from the book the day it comes out. And is that considered a spoiler? Because it's been on the audio version already. I would say that does not count as a spoiler. I would not count it as a spoiler, I think. But it's hard to say what anyone's going to count as a spoiler. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm glad we talked a little bit about Resistance. Um, you pretty much said everything that I would, would say about that. Um, I liked the first season. I did not love it. and I still haven't finished it. I need to. But I keep forgetting where I was up to. Well, it's... You know, the the market will tell whether or not it kind of um, holds people's attention, I guess. I liked it. Clearly, it's not on the top of the priority list for either Lucasfilm or fans right now. And that's that's okay, I guess. I'll be happy to see it come back if it does eventually come maybe on um, uh, Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was happening. <laughs> I keep forgetting about that. That is happening. It's going to be, yeah, I, I would imagine it would be, um, if we're, we're talking about resistance here, uh, probably on Disney Plus and Disney XD, you know, kind of a thing, like kind of the, the logo between the two. Like, obviously, they'll have the whole seasons on, on Disney Plus and whatnot so that people can always watch them and whatever. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. Disney, that, that's a whole other podcast subject. Yes. I, I will stop. I will stop there. We will have that podcast, but. Um, I want to talk about the other comics announcement at San Diego Comic-Con. We do not know much about this except for the title and the the talent. So there is a series coming called Rise of Skywalker Allegiance, which is a prequel to the movie. Um, it's written by Ethan Sachs and has art by Luke Ross. And the only thing that um, has been announced about it so far is a nice banner of what I what I believe is all of the covers. It looks like that but it might not be of art of the sequel trilogy characters and it's really eye-catching art but it doesn't really show anything new so any thoughts about this this is going to be out in december i i think let me double check that i'm excited we're getting a thing leading a prequel thing i guess (laughs) otherwise i don't know yeah i this is just kind of more standard stuff there's nothing really overly exciting for mm-hmm. me, I think mainly because I, I just I really hate the fact the short amount of time the sequel trilogy spans and they've even though I really wanted them to be a lot longer time between films, it sounds like it's only a year from what um, people have said. And it's just kind of a bummer. So I feel like this is, you know, this takes place immediately after the last jedi you know so it's not going to be that much of a you can't really they're not going to tell us much if that makes any sense it's not like again the rise of kylo ren 
kind of a thing where we're going to get some kind of origin or at least some kind of idea of what's happened. It's just going to be a, maybe a small adventure with Rabian like, I don't have a lightsaber anymore, but I've got my staff. And, and, and you know what I mean? Like, I, and again, yeah. like. It's amazing get, how little information a four-issue series can contain. And I think that's another reason The Rise of Kylo Ren is so exciting, because it promises to just to have actual exactly. answers. Exactly. Instead of, yeah, like, I a think fun adventure that's fun but doesn't really add, like, doesn't explain anything. Yeah, I think everyone's gotten a little burned out on the idea of, like, pre-movie things, like, things leading up to the movies. Ever since... Uh, Journey to the Force Awakens, which gave us like nothing, despite giving us so much content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like so much content, and we learned almost nothing about any of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that has been. Man, we're we're getting into another podcast territory. I gotta be really careful. It, this is a good subject for later on. I'll just say that because okay. I I agree with you, Saf. Like it's. There's there's been some wrong turns in the book material, and 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 fo- in the focus of that, and I think that definitely is or yeah, that's a book and comic book material, everything. But that's a whole other podcast. The only thing I want to add about that is that there is no release date, but comicbook.com has speculation that I think is is good that says prequel issues or prequel miniseries like. Shattered Empire and Captain Phasma launched in September ahead of a film's release. That's from Patrick Cavanaugh on comicbook.com. So maybe this will launch in September. Maybe it won't. But that seems like a reasonable time period to me. Yeah, so our other book news oh. and subject for other podcasts, unless we just make this one three hours, is Thrawn <laughs> Treason is out now. I have oh, a it's review. out now? It is out now. Oh, my God. As of, like, two days ago, though. It came out last Tuesday. This is why I was when I'm sick. I just miss everything. <laughs> so it was Tuesday the um, 21st, I'm guessing. Just a moment, please, while I understand dates. <laughs> Tuesday, July 23rd. Yeah, it came yesterday. out last Tuesday. Yeah. Yesterday. So. Um, it kind of took me by surprise, too, to be honest. I forgot. The book wound up at my house because I ordered all the physical media for uh, for Star Wars. And I was like, oh, yeah. Forgot about well, this thing. Because with Rogue Padron, half of Rogue Padron gets sent art copies. But I don't. So I knew the book existed as an art copy, but I just forgot that it was actually getting released at some point as well. Um, and because I didn't get a copy of it, it just disappeared out of my brain. It was just gone. And that's how Star Wars works for me. If it's not right in front of me, I forget about it because it's way too much Star Wars. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, I have to say, thesis. I have to say, I'm not exactly excited to get into this book either. So, <laughs> well, and, you know... So I do have a review out now. It's the way oh. I can. Sorry, what, Paul? I was say, oh, I'm like, I'm actually, I'm very curious what I had, I didn't know you already wrote a review for it. So <laughs> yeah, wow. the way I describe this review is that there are a lot of compliments in this review, and then I gave it three stars. <laughs> so <laughs> like, it was. I think I think Zahn is a very competent writer. I also think, and the my my tagline for this review, my lead for this review is 
you already know what you think of Thrawn. It is another Thrawn book. If you liked the previous ones, you're probably going to like this one. If you were bored of the previous ones, you're probably going to be bored by this one. Unfortunately, that's just the truth. Um, while um, we're throwing out recommendations, um, my friend Jay Shaw at 1138 has a good article arguing for why Zahn should basically be allowed to do things other than Thrawn <laughs> and <laughs> how uh, he kind of expand on the things that he did in these books without having it be another yeah. Thrawn three-dimensional chess game. I read that in review. Six. The, the extra chess every time. <laughs> every time. I, I, I read that review and it made me really not want to read read it or listen to it anymore. Because so they gave me, a, I, and I'm going to because I, I I do, there is one thing that's intriguing about that book. One thing. And it's not Thrawn, unfortunately. And I like Thrawn as a character, but like the last two books have made me, I'm done with the character. Unless we're talking about Ezra, you know, and Thrawn story. Again, Oh, we'll get into. I actually might bring this this kind of very idea up in the next uh, in our, our actually our conversation here. But what's anyway, the one thing? Is it Aralani? It's actually Eli Vanto. Okay, so cool. He's the boy. Uh, yeah. So uh, that was my favorite aspect of that story of Thrawn, because the rest of it was bad in my opinion, and I didn't care about everything else besides their relationship and. Because I was intrigued, I was mostly intrigued for the most part. And then when it when I started kind of go wavering on and Price got involved, I'm like, why are we why are we doing this? And then and then he didn't even show up in um, the next book, so it was just like, Ugh. so I don't know. It I like because I liked how it ended, and now I'm like, okay, where where is Eli? How does he fit with the chest and you know you know army or whatever it is and. So yeah, I, I'm intrigued to where it is, but at the same time, I'm just not—I'm not a novel person, and it's really hard for me to get engaged with things when the character—I'm I'm, very—I'm already not majorly invested with a character or story. With comic books, it's different. And again, I'm going to kind of talk about talk about this a little bit in, in, in our podcast review. I do here. have some bad news for you, Paul. I know. I already know. I already know. That is that this is partially a novel podcast but no but 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 well i'm saying but here's here's the thing though like i usually like i'm saying it's not my medium of choice doesn't mean i don't enjoy uh, listening or reading books because star again like i told staff earlier star wars is probably one of the you know i told everyone ever earlier um star wars is one of the only books that i actually can like enjoy reading because i borrow so much because i already know what x wings look like and y wings look like and and that's why I'm able to enjoy Star Wars books more than, you know, if, if this was a, you know, just a science fiction book club, I would have been out like the first second because I, I just can't can't do it. But if it's Star Wars, I can get into it. And there's, I've definitely enjoyed things like I'd still liked Master and Apprentice. And, you know, most of the books I've read, I've liked Thrawn's the probably one exception where I've really disliked, you know, the not disliked, but not enjoyed myself not barely at all where or I enjoy myself at first and then I'm like okay we need to end this this is getting way too long and also um or or you know again I'm getting I'm almost getting ahead of myself so we'll, I'll just leave it at this I'm gonna check it out because I do want to see what's happening with Eli Vanto I'm interested where Thrawn is but I'm not looking forward to like long-winded conversations from Timothy Zahn so <laughs> I'm just gonna say that right and, and not again some people love that stuff because, you know, 
a lot of that's very similar to what the Thrawn trilogy from the EU was. And even as a kid, I struggled reading that stuff. And I thought it was just because I was a kid and I could barely read or whatever. But no, it's it's not my thing. But again, we'll see. So I'll give it a chance. And knowing that Zahn has a very, Zahn or the editors or, you know, a combination of both really, had a very specific area of interest in this book. And I do not think that area of interest is what either you or I like about Star Wars. And that's just a fundamental problem with this book. Yeah, big mood. <laughs> yeah, that, see, yeah, oh man. See, the, our review episode for Thrawn will be very interesting then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see but yeah I, i'm gonna give it a chance you know listen i i am very a firm believer of giving things a chance that you know with, in regards to things that i know that i could maybe enjoy you just never know and like with thrawn uh i do like some aspects of it so you never know maybe it might hit this time you never know probably not but i'll give it a chance i always give the benefit of the doubt usually with the stuff usually I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So that brings us into Alphabet Squadron, a new, the first novel in a new trilogy by Alexander Freed about um, a squadron of pilots in the New Republic era. So this book is set after the fall of... um, well, is it set after the fall of the Empire? The Imperial Remnant continues to bother the brand new New Republic. And it's set during, right after Operation Cinder in the beginning. So we follow Eric McQuell, who defected from the Empire after Cinder, and her kind of being forced to take leadership of this squadron full of people with no... Uh, People who who literally need therapy, and I say that in the most loving way possible, because they have a therapist droid on their team, an ex-Imperial torture droid as their therapist, and all of them try to communicate with each other, but fail due to their various barriers and histories and difficulties. And if that sounds like... It's sort of a psychological exploration of people combined with the X-Wing novels. That is exactly what this book is. If you liked the myth of Race Squadron, then you'll love this. I mean, like, as in that the characters of Race Squadron were all personal messes, not that Race Squadron was bad. Um, I love Race yes. Squadron. 
So the actual plot is that this um, alphabet squadron, so-called because every one of the ships is a different lettered model, um, they are chasing down Shadow Wing, an elite TIE fighter squadron, also featured in the comic TIE fighter. And they uh, end up confronting members of Shadow Wing at a planet called Pandem Nye for this critical final battle. Erica herself struggles to lead the team and struggles to bring them together and also struggles because she used to be a member of Shadow Wing. So spoiler alert. Whoa. It, no, it's it's really not. <laughs> I, I, I was more like this. <laughs> That's a good point though cuz so we are not going to I'm going to say can I do my soft spoiler thing that I I shouldn't do the soft spoiler thing. No, that's we're like, just going to spoil it. We're just going to spoil the thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the book, we're doing it. Like, just... we're going to talk about the book, but we're, we might not talk about specifics of things. So. We're not going to spoil the whole, the whole thing, but I mean, it's yeah. going to be most spoiled. Wanting to anyone listening to this, there will be spoilers involved, probably. Yeah, so if you don't want to know what's going on, read the book, then come back. If you want to know what's going on, you haven't read the book, kick it with us. You're going to have fun. So, anyway, continue, I Megan. I was very hyped for this book because I loved Twilight Company so much. You are all probably tired of me saying that, so you all know the reasons. If you don't know them, please listen to previous episodes or talk to me on Twitter about them. Um, so, I had a very high expectations for this book. Um, I also got this book kind of hot off the press, so I had it for, like, <laughs> several months before it came out. Yeah. Awesome. That's a rare occurrence. Usually we get arcs about a week before the book comes out, but I was in the right place at the right time. We were some very actually lucky. very weird circumstances and ended up getting one. And then Saf got one early as well. So this uh, was something I've been able to sit with, which has been very different for a lot of these tie-in books. They kind of come and go fast, but this one I was really able to sit with from the very beginning um, I found the point of view to be a lot messier than t- in Twilight Company, and I love this book. I love it so much, but I also wanted to lead with some criticism, because I do have some. Um, in Almost immediately in the first chapter, you can tell that this book is going to be too long, and whether that's because it's the first of a trilogy and the author knew it was going to be a trilogy, or whether that's just how it was written, uh, I do think that's immediately apparent and reigns true throughout the book. Um, This is not a better book than Twilight Company, but I like its characters better. I I feel like it suffers from being the first one in a trilogy, and we'll see as that trilogy goes on whether that remains the same. So, yeah, I so I want you two to both kind of just do what I did, like tell me your first impressions and tell me your overall review of this before we get into some of the more specific things. And and I do therapy about Erica myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I also got the book early because of lucky events. Um and I was very excited about that. So I've had time to sit with it as well. I've also read it twice because we recently we are currently doing um a few episodes about Alphabet Squadron Rogue Podron, which is another podcast I do if you don't know about it. Um and so I had to reread the book, which was good because then I kind of got to reapproach it with not fresh eyes, but like seeing how it felt the second time around and see if it still worked for me. And it did. Um, I also managed to forget like a major reveal of the book 
between reading it for the first time and the second time, which was only a few months, which I'm still impressed by. Um, I really like it. I agree that, like, it suffers from being the first book in the trilogy because you don't get those character resolutions that the book sets up because those have to come later in the trilogy, and that does suck. Um, but that's, that's how trilogies work, so I understand. But I also just want Yurika and everyone to be friends already. <laughs> I just want that now. Yes. Um, and there's been hints that it's just going to get darker from here. So, like, I'm just going to have to write more fan fiction where they actually get along. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, I really like it. I do love it. I don't love it as much as Twilight Company because I feel like it's a hard, hard place to reach. But, God, I do love it. I really enjoyed it. The prose was amazing. When I first read it, I had to keep putting it down to just be like, God, Alex Reed is so good at just putting in so many feelings and describing a character and making you feel for this character in, like, two sentences. And I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And the way he uses color to set moods and atmospheres is really cool because I do a similar thing, so I love it that he does that. Um it just like, oh, it has so many beautiful, like, ideas, and I would say imagery, uh, but I can't see the images, but the idea of the images is really cool. Um, I love the characters that are set up, they're really strong, like, the main five characters have really strong personalities that really stick with me, um, and I just, oh, I really love it. <laughs> I do love it. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, mm. here we All go. Right. So we can take okay, it. so I did not get this book early like you ladies did. I get my audiobook uh, from them, from the great people from Del Rey and the people who uh, produce these books, and they uh, give it to me the day that co- the book comes out. So I'm always kind of a little behind on everyone else. And luckily, because I have dri- I, I do a lot of walking and a lot of driving, I can usually you know pick this up and belt it out pretty quick. So I was really anticipating Alphabet Squadron because uh, by the time I got this book, so many people had read it and were raving about it. So I was looking forward to sitting down and, and, or and listening to this and, and really going deep into it. And I love Y wings and, and, and I'm not a huge spaceship guy, but I do like the Starfighters. though. If I had to think of, you know, I do like I like space battles a lot, so I was like, okay, well, I, I'm not a big ship guy, but I do love space battles with starfighters, so I should be good. And so for me, my overall feelings of this book is that I liked it, um, and I and I think that you hit on something, Megan, that was perfect, is that to me this book was way too long. I I really I it, when I first started, I I really liked it a lot. I got immediately hooked on the characters. And then uh, I got kind of busy and I, I had to stop. I stopped listening to it and then I lost my momentum and it was hard for me to get back into it. Once I got back into it, it felt like there was moments where I'd be like, this is great. And then all of a sudden I'd turn to a slog for me and I'd go like, oh, this is getting good. And then it turned to a slog again. And it was really, really inconsistent for me to get back into it on a regular basis. And I felt like there's just a lot of things in there that did not need to be in there. That we, I did not need to know about certain things. I know he's doing a lot of setup, but I feel like this could have been done wrapped up a lot quicker. So this book was like 13 hours long to listen to. And that's not like super abnormal, I don't think. I think most Star Wars books are around that, but it just felt like 20 hours. And I feel like this could have been done in like, again, from a time, I'm not thinking of a page count, I'm thinking from time count. For me, it probably could have been done in like nine or 10 
And I know that three hours doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. It's a lot. And but overall, I would say I liked it. I love the characters. That's and and it's funny as I listened to it, I just kept thinking to myself, this is so up Megan and Saf's alley. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and not and not because and, and know why? It's not because of Alexander Freed and, and the um Twilight, Twilight Squ- uh, Squadron thing. I think it's mainly it reminded me a lot of Halo, a lot of military ops uh, things that you guys are really Ooh. into. And and that to me was what he really hit on with this book. Now, admittedly, that's not my thing. I'm not a military guy at all. Not my thing. Not like I'm not anti-military, but just I don't like I'm not don't want to read about it, at least from the standpoint of what he was doing and like you, what your guys' favorite aspects of Halo that's why I don't really love Halo as much as you guys do. Maybe there's that military aspect of it. He really touched up, touches on that in this book and does a great job of do of kind of going over that and, and the lifestyles and the, the ideas of what that, you know, makes uh, a person, et cetera, et cetera. It's just not really what engages me. And I get it. Maybe I'm, I'm off with that, but with you guys, but that kind of, it reminded me of Halo, the, what he was describing things and stuff like that. So yeah, this- well, he, um he was on a panel at last celebration, I believe about specifically about writing the military in star Wars. So yeah. you're certainly oh. not off base with feeling oh. that that's definitely, okay. I think a thing think- that he is known to do. That's a big thing. I think about why twilight company, uh, resonated with me so much is that I love <laughs> I love Halo military sci-fi mm-hmm. novels and Twilight Company felt the most like that that we've had yeah. from Star Wars ever um, so I don't think you're off base at all having that feeling with this book and it probably is why it resonates with me so much yeah. um, good I have a lot of changing feelings about the military stories that I like and part of that is because as I grow older the more uncomfortable I am with the idea of the military industrial complex, the idea of following very violent order becomes uncomfortable to me as I age. But I think also one of the reasons that I do identify with these kind of stories and identified them with as as a teenager specifically is not because I wanted to go into the military, although it was very like the briefest of phases. And it's because there's a sense of powerlessness to some of these characters when you're a teenager, I think, or if you are sort of powerless in some aspect of your life, there's a part of you that's like, yeah, I want a command structure. I want to be told to go do a very specific job and I want to be able to see like the effects of my job. And I understand what it's like to be kind of um, in a structure that restricts you and to have to work within that structure. And heroism can really only exist within that structure. That's a very dystopian idea that's not really Mm -hmm. examined in that way in Halo. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that that is part of why it appealed to me. Not necessarily the the gung-ho, like, I love the idea of military victory, although that's part of it, too. That's a cool thing. I'm a genre fan. I like explosions. But it's also (laughs) because it's an idea about all of your victories are very conditional, and that appeals to the part of me that likes tragedy. So Mm. that was a long explanation for why I like these things, but it's been in the back of my head, and I haven't been able to tell any halo fans about it so that's (laughs) a good opportunity to do so (laughs) honestly i can't like you you've taken my own words out of my head as well like 
I feel exactly the same. You know, and, and this is where, okay, so, and this is where I'm going to, I'm going to kind of divulge a little bit because I think that we, we're such, what, what's great about our podcast, in my opinion, is that we are, I, I offer a lot different view on things and, and you two, and, and you guys have different opinions on things as well. But with this specific thing, if you were to ask me, Paul, what would you want to do with the alphabet squadron? Would you want a novel or a comic? I would say, yeah, I'd want a comic, but at the same time, it's weird because I think that the Alexander Freed is a great writer. Like I, and I remember I even said that with twilight company. I don't know if I said on the show or maybe it was just telling Megan in private or whatever on text or whatever. Um, he's a fantastic writer. Like the dude can write and there's and anyone who writes a novel, I think is talent writing for the most part. You know what I mean? Like you have to have be a coherent writer to do that. Right. But when, when Alexander is writing, you can tell like the dude's like talented, this guy can write. And, but it, it's for me, I'm just, it, there's, I feel like that we got too bogged down in people's like headspaces with things that weren't really always necessary. And that's kind of my critique on, I think pros in general, to be honest, is that <laughs> I don't, I don't always want to know the headspace or I don't have to know the exact to uh, minute detail of, you know, they walked across this thing and then they thought about themselves, about you know, blah, 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 this happened. And then how this person <laughs> reminded them of how the ship blew up and their best friend died. And I'm just like, okay, I don't, need, I don't even know about that. Like, just get to the point, you know, I, again, the, the ideas I, I'm being, I'm being a little brutal on it, but in, in, in a sense, that's where I, I struggle with and I get lost. in when, when they're trying to conjure up a, an emotion and a feeling I just want to know what's going on next. I don't need to hear about, you know, tell me what they're feeling. Sure. But don't go on and try to, you know, explain that to me in a way where I have to connect to it. You know what I mean? For at least for me, I don't, need to, I don't, I don't need to be given another example of why they feel this way again, when you just tell me they felt sad when that's good enough for me. Again, everyone's different. And that's why you know, the show is, I think is, is fun to do because we're so different, but yep. th those are the things I struggled with, with this book was there a lot of that stuff. And again, Alexander Freed's a great writer. I, and I, and I don't want to make, I don't, I, and I like the book. I want to make that very clear. I like the book. But you, you, you said it first, Megan. You said it first. It was too long, and so <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do believe that. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think, it, like I said, I think I'm hoping that they learn that maybe they this is a critique they look at and they they go for because I didn't know it was a trilogy. I totally didn't realize that. So I'm excited. I'm excited because I like all these characters. So yeah, I think it was so long because a lot of it was just setting up a lot. Mm -hmm. Like the character foundations and everything, because when we get into later books, like the stuff won't have to be touched on because it's been covered in this book. In theory, like Twilight Company didn't have as much of this character set up because it was just one novel. I feel um, it kind of just jumped right in and then did its thing. Whereas this one has to set up like a whole trilogy, <laughs> which is the, a lot the of groundwork. I feel the different formats suit the characters too. I think because Erica is very in her own head. And Namir was not at all. Yeah. And I think that's not that's not necessarily intentional. Even I think when you, I don't, I have no idea whether he sat down to go like this is a kind of character that would suit this format. I very much doubt it. That's not really how novel writing works. But it worked out well, I think. Yeah, and I think it suited her. For Erica, yes, and I, I, she was my favorite character, and I really felt oh, that. Good. 
God, I'm so glad you like her. I was worried. No. I was worried. Really? Wow. <laughs> no, I I liked her because she was complex. And there's now I don't love all the characters per se. I don't think there was a bad character, but I didn't love them all. My favorite characters were these people. Okay. Basically, it was Erica, ITO. Loved ITO. Oh I my love ITO. Lord. I just I, the whole book should be about him. I'd be fine with that. Um and uh or her if you would, whatever you would prefer. It. 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 Yeah, I actually exactly. want to point out Alex Freed goes out of his way in these books to never gender a droid. You know, it's funny because like I didn't the way because it was a, a uh, I forgot her name. I should probably look this up too because it's this is important. But the 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 lady who did um the voice work for um Alphabet Squadron did a fantastic job. And but every time like she talked, it sounded like like I kept thinking I kept I kept hearing boy. It was weird. I I, I couldn't. It, it was a lady like t- talking, but I, for some reason it just felt like they put like a modulation on her voice, so it made it like kind of like kind of am, it ambiguous a little yeah, bit. Yeah, isn't that kind of successful then? The am, ambiguity no, is there. It definitely is there. I hope I for whatever reason I heard it as. For me, a, a, a boy, but I, I don't remember it saying it or or whatever. So I apologize. Um, but if <laughs> anyone, if I'm saying that, but it was weird because I just, but the way her module that they modulated the voice and everything, it was definitely ambiguous. But I always heard it as just a boy. But whatever. It, either way, ITO was great. Um, Erica was great. And again, Erica, I felt like there should have been there should have been more focus on Erica and. I like the idea of the complexity and there's mm-hmm. like, she's like, like the first Imperial character who's like complex. I'm putting like quote marks around that complex. And like, uh, you could see why she was like on the side of the empire. Cause she thought they were good and blah, blah, blah. Like I'm, I'm making fun of Aiden. Um, but like, <laughs> this is the first time I've had like a, a previously Imperial character. And I've been like, I fully understand the complexity of this character situation. Like, I understand it. This is the first time I've ever really felt it. I mean, I guess like probably Sayana from um, uh, Falling Stars, Lost Stars. Probably it's been a long time since I read that book, but I feel like I had it in there too. But like, I feel like a lot yeah. of stuff recently has been like, this character is imperial, but they're good actually. Um, and I've been like, no, they're a fascist, but whatever. This is the first time I've been like, I yeah. feel for this character and I understand her choices. Yeah. Oh, there's so much in there. There's so much. Okay, so we're going to talk about Erica first and then kind of dive into the other characters afterward. So she, the novel, while we're doing full spoilers, the novel builds to the revelation that she joined the Empire in order to defeat it, but then just kind of lost her way. There was no moral moment This is as far as we know. This is, again, the story she told, which I'm making quote marks with my hands because a lot of characters are framed. They they have these moments where they tell stories and it's very there's a little suggestion of like maybe they're not telling the truth here. And Erica herself does not tell the truth in all of her stories. So she says that she meant to join the Empire to defeat it, but then became fond of the people she worked with and just kind of lost her way, just kind of forgot that her plan and her was to join the rebellion and that because of that she had discontent the whole time and this is not a heroic narrative at all this is not 
a person even with a strong moral backbone, I don't think. And that's part of why, that's part of what I like about this novel's kind of gradual fall into realism. I don't know that it's possible to call a Star Wars novel truly realist, but it has this ambiguity and yet specificity at the same time about Erica's morality. And I like what you said, Saf, because I've also been kind of worried about the message of that we're getting so many sympathetic Imperial characters because I have trouble being sympathetic to them because I just hear the Imperial March in my head and like, it's evil. Like they're, they're walking to the evil music. I can't sympathize with them, but with her, she has this depth of shame and depth of self-hatred that somehow never tips over into a feeling of guilt. And the specificity of that is fascinating to me. I also think, but Paul, what you said about you wanted more time with her, I almost think it would be impossible to have more time with her because mm. she doesn't, she's not in touch with her own inner self at all. She essentially has, um, I think she's denying a lot of things. I don't want to throw out pseudo psychological terms here like I know what thing causes what symptom because I don't know that but I do know that she essentially has a panic attack in this book she oh, yeah. yeah um she has trouble connecting with other people and when she does try to connect with them I'm thinking specifically of the scene when she and she only gets a tattoo of the squadron logo she <laughs> fails to connect because she has made the gesture but not the actual connection and especially in that case when that gesture comes with it is of such a physical thing is really interesting texturally. Um, so I don't know if there's that much. I think the amount we got of her was was right. And I really want to see how this series kind of heals her throughout. Um, well, if I if I may explain yeah. why I think we we needed more of Erica Quell, in my opinion, is that I think that's the most interesting parts of the book is the fact you have someone who's struggling, like the part where she's going back and they're making her kind of watch over these, like these files it's early on in the story and where she has to basically relive operation cinder and she like just loses it basically. And that's the stuff that was really intriguing to me. And again, was my was my favorite aspects of the book is when you have Erica trying to like again, she yes, she's struggling trying to figure out who she is, where she is, because there is so much complexity with what you know her and what she's done in the past, you know. So for me, that was the most it was that was what to me what, what drew me into the story because the characters that were that she was with, like they, they feel it feel like for the most part enhanced her for the most part but i i don't know I, that to me just what that's what i wanted to go is go back to is where's erica where is she what is she doing how is she feeling right now is she okay is she, yeah like that yeah. that and that was and again that's that i'm i am an, an erica quell fan so i want to know more about her than i what about this one random dude talking to another kid and a maintenance thing i don't care about you know and so <laughs> Like, or for whatever you're trying to set up. And I don't really care about Will and Chaz and how angry they are at each other. I just, I just, it just, that doesn't, doesn't interest me. I, I, I the complexities. It, cool. I thought it was especially strange that 
Freed did not write the first couple training missions they went on. And I had to reread this a couple times, but I'm pretty sure that's true. The first big scene that we get with them as a squadron is, like, the third or fourth training mission. Is that right? Yeah. Where I really wanted to see that first mission. Yeah, yeah, I think it's not. I mean, I I think it's not their first one. Yeah, because I feel like that's where more of the personalities would have come out. I thought it was an odd choice. In a way, a characteristic choice, because, mm, no, I'm going to walk that one back. It was an odd choice. So, (laughs) Um, I love the question of what Quell's morality actually Mm -hmm. is. I love the question of where are her moral lines, because they're not Cinder, but they're something. (laughs) They're not Cinder, but she feels like they should be. Yeah, yeah. Because she thinks anyone who else who stayed in the Empire post Cinder would like is is morally reprehensible. Like they they stayed too long and they shouldn't be there anymore. But um, like, well, would she have gone back after Cinder? We don't actually really know. Um, there's a specific I find... line about that. She she respects the people who left the Empire after Endor as opposed to after Cinder for their foresight not their character which i thought was very interesting and then it's all very it's not a moral calculus it's a it's a sort of desperate attempt to find a purpose yeah i kind of interesting i feel like in the later books like uh soren keys is gonna be like her kind of main foil because He's a man with a very strong moral compass. Like, he's the reason that she... He he was the one that knew that she should not be on the side of the Empire. But he is purely Imperial to his heart. Like, he's an Imperial man. Um, and that's going to be really interesting to see later on. Yeah, and he was very much, like, her father figure, I thought. Where she based a lot of her, like, moral ideas on him. And the part that... There's a line that I wrote down that I think shows how skewed her morality is and also shows how this book's going to approach like good versus evil in general which is she is um trying to leave her she's in a tie fighter in a in the storm that is cinder um trying to leave and she says she'd be shot if she ejected major soren keys was a good man an admirable admirable man but she knew there would be no court martial which i find fascinating she considers him a good man like that's good oh that's the paragon side on her moral scale but he's a man who would follow the rules of the empire such that he would have her executed and i feel like someone that is brought not raised but kind of formed and educated by that person is gonna have that skewed look and you said can you talk a little bit more about what you said about um he's he's imperial through and through but also very moral like what what do you mean by that how do you feel about that well because he says to her that she's got a sickness and the sickness is being part of the empire and like committing the acts the empire does and when she leaves and she's like you come with and he's like no i'm gonna stay here and get as many people out as i can but i will never be like a rebel like I may leave but I will never be part of that side um 
and we see throughout it, like, because we find out later on that Devin is Soren, which is the big reveal that I managed to forget. Um, like, his whole thing is, like, he's he is a good man. Like, he helps these people that he's with, but he keeps, like, having to leave because he starts fights. He can't help it. Like, he's he's got that kind of nobility to him of, like, he cannot see people being oppressed or whatever without having to do something about it but then we know he like at the end he goes back to the empire because he's like well the empire's a mess i have to go i have to go fix this kind of thing like he's drawn back to it he can't escape it he is part of it and it's like intrinsically part of him but at the same time he does all these actions that you would expect a heroic character to do like you would expect him to be a good guy um and yeah, he's the reason that Erica defects, despite the fact that the entire time she wanted to defect from the start. She wanted to go be a rebel. It wasn't her that made that choice. It was him being like, you have to go. Like, this is an order. Go join the rebels. Um, and so, like, he is, like, he has way more of a moral compass. He just, I guess, ignores it or something. Hmm. Or doesn't expand it up to the Empire. Like, you could argue, like, you can be a person who gives charity to the local homeless shelter but also pays taxes to an oppressive government right do you think yeah. he's that, that he's that yeah i'm not well, sure like about that though because he's also he is actively in the military like he is also killing he's part people of the oppressive government. <laughs> yeah he's he's an interesting character as well and i think he's kind of like the mirror of quell who is in the rebels but she's like so conflicted about like what what's actually morally good and what she should be doing um and I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. There are various ways in which this book personally attacked me. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, there's just some lines that are so observant about these complex emotional reactions to things. There's a part where Quell says that she's comfortable talking to, I believe it was Nath. Was it Nath? Um, Maybe it was Ito. She was saying she's comfortable talking to this person because she knows they don't care about her. They're, I think it's Nath, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, the the disinterest itself makes her able to open up to that person. And I was like, oof, ow, I feel seen, but in a bad way. <laughs> like, and... So that was so observant of a thing that I think I kind of knew about myself, but hadn't ever really seen written before and kind of made me go like, what is, how, how can I stop this from happening in relationships that I have? And how can I like find ways to connect to people who are in fact legitimately interested in me? So that was really like, oof. And there were a couple other parts that were similarly kind of made me think about how I act and uh, how my own brain works. So thanks to this book for that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I had similar things with that, um, both with Yurka and with Chas, I guess. There were some bits of Chas that like resonated with me a bit too much. And I was like, oof, don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Do not like that. <laughs> Exactly. Sav disapproves, but, like, also approves at the same time. Yeah, like, because... you really got to get people to write stuff like that, but also, oof, it hurts when you see yourself in those characters. <laughs> like, excuse me, this isn't allowed? How dare you come into my home like this? 
911, I've been attacked by this book. <laughs> I've been attacked. So, <laughs> Quell mentions that she has been, I believe the line is drowning in shame for months. And so I have a question here. Has she made herself a villain in her mind, regardless of what she has actually done? And how is that connected to the things she has actually done? Which I guess, when I com- when it comes down to it, the kind of illustration I would use to describe this is in the moral structure of this book. If a character, like, um, if a stormtrooper at Endor shot a bunch of Ewoks or shot a bunch of rebels and then immediately felt really terrible about it and was removed by the situ from the situation, not by their own accord. They were removed by circumstance basically, and then felt really bad about it. Does that make them, I think this book is very disinterested in the question of does that make them more or less guilty? Cause the two things are unrelated. They are unrelated but we're focusing so much on quell's inner life here that we get a lot of the shame and not a lot of the here's what you actually did except an acknowledgement from characters especially like Hera and um um aiden uh what's his first name karen karen it's such a good name how could i forget it karen adan <laughs> um her her sort of intelligence officer slash CO, but not really, because she's the CO, because Hera said so. Those people acknowledge, like, you did these terrible things, but those are a very separate thing from the monster she has made herself in her brain. So did either of you read that that way, or have anything you wanted to say about that? Does that spark anything, or am I just kind of, is that, like, my brain going off on a tangent? It doesn't really mean anything. No, I agree with that, I think. Um, I find it interesting with her. I think she largely has built herself up to be a villain because I think she sees a lot of herself, like she builds up her idea of herself off of what she thinks other people will think of her and how they see her. And for her, everything she's done, she sees as if she was someone else, she would see that as awful and atrocious. Like she's like, that's bad. Um, And so she assumes that everyone else will see the same thing. And for a lot of people, they do like Karen is like, you are terrible. You're awful. Like, screw you. Um, which is fair, because she was part of Cinder. Um, and then mm. you get people like Nath, who just don't care. Like, she wasn't part of the shadowing team that killed his people, so he doesn't actually really care about her. Um, and I don't know if she sees herself as a villain or, like, as a bad person so much as she knows that other people see her as that because of what she's done. Interesting. If that makes any sense. <laughs> Interesting. Paul, does this strike any chords at all? Well, I, I think that that what makes her so compelling is that there's both guilt and also guilt for not maybe for wanting to carry it out in the first place, but not but knowing that maybe not feeling that there's, there's nothing wrong with that, if that makes any sense. I got a lot of that, like almost like you're feeling guilt for not feeling guilty. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah. And that's where I, I think a lot of her emotions were coming from because I think she she knew she looked on the outside like this is wrong, but I'm still going to go through with it because that's my job and that's what I have to do. And is that maybe a, a bad person for not for not for not not wanting to do it in the first place and not feeling bad about it? Because you don't really 
again, when I listen, listening to the book, I never got the impression that she was like, she was always remorseful. I think there were certain, there were certain things that she knew were bad. Mm-hmm. And, but does that make sense? Like, I feel yeah, like she absolutely. was all over the place. I feel like there was times that she'd feel guilt and sometimes she wouldn't. So, and again, I fe- I think it's because of the mentality, the mentality that she's been brought up with the empire is, is, was kind of like, has worked its way with her. And I, she doesn't know where that begins and ends because there's, de- it's definitely there. She definitely feels guilt for things, but not all the time. It's just weird. It's it again. It's what makes her a compelling character, in my opinion. So, it's just kind of you know like, I don't know. I I just love again. Why I wanted more more time on her in the first place was because of those reasons. So, that makes a lot of sense to me. Hmm. So let's talk about other favorite characters. We talked about Ito. I also really liked Ito. I love the idea of just the torture droid as a therapist is very, is very freed. I'll say that. Yeah, I, oh, I love it. I love it It reminded me of the way he writes K2, which was fun. And I'm glad that even though K2 is dead, rest in peace, Ito can come and fill the void that was left in my heart. The many, so many voids left by the Rogue One novel. <laughs> Oof, it's a novel. God, I love Ito so much. Like, the idea of, I imagine we'll get more about, like, the backstory there, but, like, the idea of, like, a reformed Imperial droid who is not only previously Imperial, but previously a torture droid, which has a very specific horror look to it. Like, they're very creepy. Um, and the fact that, like, he it mentions during the book at some point, like, wanting to do medicine on someone because, like, it never really gets to use those skills that it has. Um, because, obviously, to do torture, you probably have to oh know how to fix it, right? I feel like, like that's Chekhov's... Chekhov's syringe? Like, yeah. <laughs> now Ito has to save someone's life with that, like, knockout syringe one day. Yeah, I just, I find it's kind of a similar, like, idea of, like, a human, a previously Imperial human, but, like, for the first time, we're kind of seeing it as a droid, actually. Um, and, like, phys- it's a physical metaphor as well as, like, a... a metaphorical metaphor I guess like because we have the literal appearance of a torture droid which is terrifying and they torture people um it's just oh it's so good it's so good I love it so much there's so much good droid content in this book and it made me so happy (laughs) yeah this is I think I ITO or ITO or whoever you want to, whatever you want to call him I I think he was really really awesome fascinating character and Anytime he was on the page, whether if uh, Erica there or whatever, but I I loved it. I I think he was a fantastic character, you know. And I don't think there really was like bad characters. It just wasn't characters that I just didn't really like engage with as much, like like Will and the Chaz and and again like Will was kind of I, I like the idea of of Will, but like I just it just got kind of. Again, it just felt like there was too much too much time spent on on him and Chaz, and um, I forgot the guy with Y Wing's name, um, Nez. Naf. My trash fave, Naf. Yeah, that boy. He's he's sweet, and so um, I liked him, and and he was cool, but he wasn't like super super, you know, 
interesting either, but he was cool to, look, to hear him talk. And I love the old grizzled veteran idea about him. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I don't really, I feel like of all the characters, um, um, oh my gosh, what's the, what's the, what's the, oh, how about this? I'll, I'll you know, we're running long here. I, I, I want to, I, I do want to say there's one part that's my favorite part of the book and I wanted more of the stuff and that was great. It was the first mission that, um, I don't know if it's the first mission that either Hera gives him or if it's the first mission that um, uh, Kieran gives him. Um, what's his name? What? what Karen? Um, is it Kieran? Yeah. So Karen? Yeah, what my question is, or what I was going to talk about was the part where they had to go and uh, retrieve stormtrooper soldiers from this planet that was, you know, the Operation Cinder was trying to obliterate and they had all these different stormtroopers. And... All that stuff, that, that was my favorite part of the book. And it was them working together for like the very first time in this kind of really, really unique, kind of really gritty situation. Again, putting everything in perspective of what they were kind of, you know, what the post uh, Empire, or Return of the Jedi kind of stories are going for. And or the, or kind of like the status quo, if you will, and what exactly is happening with the Empire. That to me was like the most interesting part of the book. Um, was seeing that and the, the way um, Alexander Freed wrote it, it just was, it, I was totally engaged and getting into it. Like, oh man, if this is what we're gonna get. This is great, and it, I, I feel like it never came back to that kind of idea or ideology, if you will. But it was I just loved what was what he wrote, and and the action was really fast paced. It felt intense. Um, and oh my gosh, what's the what's the mysterious Ewing pilot's name? I always I forget. Kairos. Oh my gosh, Kairos. we got this. Yes. I love Kairos so much. Yes. Kairos. Yeah. And, and was, she had uh, she had some great moments too. So uh, there was just lots of cool stuff in that part. I just loved that part, and I, I always wanted to kind of get back to that feeling, which I never really did, unfortunately. But that that's when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting back into this book again. So, but yeah, that was I love that part of that book. And it could because it had every character playing a, a really great part and using their skills to really their advantage. And all, again, forwarding a uh, a narrative of what exactly the post galaxy empire is like and what's so, going on. I want this episode to go long. I'm actually perfectly fine with that. But Saf, you said you had something to do after this. Are you okay if we go another like 20 minutes? I have, yeah, another 20 minutes is all good. Okay. So then, yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you about Nath because we, we've we had some talks about <laughs> Nath. Um, I don't know how much we want to get into them. This is the same podcast on which we talked about DJ, so I'm afraid a disturbing trend is starting. It's starting, I think. It's We're in it. Bad. It's <laughs> bad. <laughs> Nath is my favorite. He's the worst. He's very charming, and he uh, reminds me of another character that I'm super into. So I'm just done. I I had no hope. Um, I like the part where Will says that he sees Nath as a con artist pretending to be a con artist, which I think is just a great description. Yeah, it really gave me a good sense of him. I didn't actually love Nath the first time I read the book. I think because I was like, oh, he flies a Y-Wing. Gross. Um, but then the Watch second your time mouth. Y-Wings. I'm just, I'm Come just on. Oh, <laughs> um, second time I read the book, I like I did I identified him with um, 
another character that I enjoy a lot, um, like Megan. We're being and... awful circumspect about this one, aren't we? All right. <laughs> yep, yep. No, it's the Drifter from Destiny. Um, in my head, he sounds like the Drifter now because he calls everyone brother and sister. Yep. Um, and Both he has a similar lying. energy. <laughs> Good. Same energy. Same, Same energy. energy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... I actually really enjoyed him the second time around. Like, he's probably one of my favorite characters now. Because he is. He's, like, the veteran kind of guy. He's morally gray, but he wants to do the best for his team that he can. Like, he wants to protect his kids, but he's also, like, a bad dude at times. He's charming, but he's also, like, in with the crime people that, like, wherever he goes. Like, he's he's a cool character. He's a cool dude, and I love him. The, the trope is there of Erica and Nath as the parents trying to corral this whole group of kids. The the trope is there. It's there. And I love it. Also, he's like, he's got a great droid and a great relationship with his droid. So that's also good. Yes. And he like meditates. Like, he, he does- doesn't sleep ever, basically. He just meditates sometimes. He meditates. And now I have like a headcan that he does yoga too. And I'm like, oh God, I love this guy. I love him. <laughs> and like so- in the art, the character art that we got, um, silhouette character out that we got um he's like got like a man bun and i love that stuff so like very into that into it very so... not into man bun myself but anyway <laughs> <laughs> um the one problem that i had with the, uh, the ensemble cast is that i did notice that will and nath are really the only people that get along in this cast kairos arguably gets along with everyone but she doesn't speak so it's hard to tell and i wanted more i found it noticeable that will and nath were the only people that were really vocally enjoying each other's company and i wished there were more female friendships particularly in this book because erica is prickly with everyone like and Chas is prickly with everyone, and Kairos is quiet with everyone. Like, I'm not saying it's part, it's, like, singled out that they don't talk to women. They talk to Hera. But it was noticeable to me that Nath and Will were the major kind of friends pairing, and I want more of the the women talking to each other in the future. I also um, didn't really like Will that much, which he's the favorite. Like, he's the baby, but I just I just don't get it. He doesn't have the charm that Luke Skywalker did, even though he's supposed to be a kind of Luke-ish figure. But I think because he's not naive, he's not. He doesn't have, like, I don't have that same kind of... Uh, I can't identify with him in the same way. So that's that. But people seem to really love him, and I love that. Seeing who people's favorite characters are and who their least favorite characters are. Yes. It's like a, yeah. It's just a lot about, like, what people get out of the books they read, I think, as well. Like, I mean, Will is probably my least favorite. Not to say I don't love him, but, like, of the the five, he's probably, like, the lowest on the list. Um, Though he gave me, like, Gavin uh, feelings, like, from the X-Wing books. Um, And I did like that. Like, he gave me that kind of, like, feeling of Gavin, uh, Darklighter, whatever his name is. And I like that much. Um... And, like, when I'm talking about other people, like, I enjoy talking about Will to them. But in the book, like, like Nath, I want to know more about his weird home. And I identify with him in as much as I also talk to my vehicles when I drive them. Um, yeah, that was great. <laughs> I was like, me too, buddy. Big same. Um, but apart from that, like, Will's not really my kind of character. So I was like, eh, he's all right. But, like, meh. 
Hera's appearance in this book was one of the other things that brought it from, oh, I'm interested in this, to, like, this is the event of the year. So (laughs) I love that Hera was in it. Her role was small, but I think it had to be. And I just really liked it. I love that she was the one to send them to what, you know, they didn't know and the audience didn't know was a Jedi temple. And then they find out that it was. I just love her a lot. And there was one moment where she thinks about her old crew. And I was like, yes, this is all the emotional rebels catharsis I need. Like, you've done it in one sentence. (laughs) Right? I felt the exact same way. I really like, and also you see here, like, how much she's kind of grown. Because in Rebels always a good planner, a good strategist. She understood people to their core. Um, and we see that kind of come to its, like, to an even higher level on this, that she, like, can see this group of messy people and be like, I know what they need. I know how to, like, make them slot in together and start working together. And then she does it, and it works. And it's like, she's ama- she's a genius. She's amazing. She's learned so much. Like, she's become, she's come so far. And it's so cool seeing her in, like, this level of command where she just, she gets it. Paul, anything you want to add about that or about the book doesn't have much in the way of connection to Rebels, but I know you are into Rebels. So any thoughts there? Well, I kind of feel that Hera was it took way too long to get to her. She should have been introduced (laughs) long ago in the book and she should have been in a presence because I like the idea of. Um, I always forget his name. Is it Kieran? 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 Kieran, like a pile of rocks. Yeah. Um. I always liked the idea of him being like, oh, you're my, you're my people, you're, you know, I like, I like that idea of him getting all like kind of huffy about her, like kind of taking command kind of thing. And I felt like that, cause we kind of feel like he's like, at first was the hard nosed, like guy that was, but he really cared about everybody. But then I felt like as the book went on, it kind of shifted and it became, I'm actually kind of a jerk and a, a big time jerk. And I, you have a reason to hate me and you shouldn't like me. And I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know. I just, Again, I, I kind of feel like she should have been in it from the beginning. And That's I like actually her. like a common complaint I've seen is that a lot of people want to hear her in it earlier. Yeah, and I think, again, novels, and I just feel like novels recently, in, of all Star Wars content, I'm going to go on a little teensy bit of a tangent, is for me, the problem with these novels is that they're not focused enough on the main characters. And we do get some books that are focused on the main characters, some. But not really a lot. Like we got, um, you know, we've got the Leia book, uh, Bloodline, things like that. But I feel like, you know, I, I love getting new characters. Don't get me wrong, and I and I like a lot of the characters we got in this. But, you know, let's give it some like some pizzazz, if you will. And the reason we're into Star Wars is because we're in not just the world, but we're into like the main characters of why we're there in the world in the first place. And I feel like a lot of Star Wars books, you know, they're just they're trying to kind of do their own thing. Like, Oh, it's tell a tale of the galaxy with these new characters and this new character or this character. And it's, it was fine at first, but I'm just getting like tired of all these new characters where I just want to get like some familiarity in my stories. And I feel like the comic books have done a pretty good job of balancing that. And I feel novels have not done a good job of balancing that. I feel like (laughs) the novels are very inconsequential to the overall stories of Star Wars. And again, just my opinion. Um, and I, there, there are some big things that happen in there. They reveal in the books, but they're, they're few and far between since the dawning of the new canon. And I feel like 
we're just missing out even you know on some big events and some big character moments when we're getting all these new characters in these books that are great i love a lot of these characters like in alphabet squadron but i feel like hera like we want to know what's going on with hera like let's see let's dive into her past a little bit let's give us some more because where is she going to show up again maybe they they want to do an eventual series down the line with her showing up maybe but Let's give us some give us some more tidbits because this is a character we all are already invested in. We want to know more about, especially at this time frame where we don't we you know we already know what the Empire era Hera is. What about post Empire Hera? What's going on with her? Like what? Give us more details. And we're here for we're here as much for these new care these old characters than we are for like just getting new Star Wars books in general. So I don't mean to complain about this whole bunch, but it is kind of a gripe. And it's not Alexander's fault necessarily. It's a kind of a gripe at the overall how Lucasfilm and, and, and Del Rey have handled books and, and characters and whatnot. And I want the books to have more like more like big event stuff happening in them because it's beginning to be for me when I read these books, the alphabet squadron. Yeah. You have to get really invested in these characters or you're going to check out. There's no real reason for me to read alphabet squadron other than if I like space, like starfighters, especially like, like the X-wing books, like you were talking about Saf, or if I want to know kind of the kind of the post M or post the return of the Jedi era, like what's going on kind of a little bit. I do when they dive in, it's good, but it doesn't dive in enough for me to like make it like kind of a worthwhile thing. And that's my main problem with like, I think stuff like this is that these books, I think they're not bad, but they need to introduce, give me more reason to read it other than that. These are new characters in it's star Wars. Give me some like reason to why Harrow would be in this book. Give you, give you some good juicy, juicy details of, you know, what Jason's up to where, who's watching Jason in this whole time. Cause we're curious. That's Kanan's kid and it's her kid. So let's, you know, let's give us some more information. Um, that, that's, I know I'm going to do on a tangent. I apologize, but tangent over. It's I interesting just, I want, because. I am the literal opposite to you. Um, the moment, like, there's a main Star Wars character in a book, I kind of tune out. I'm like, what ifs? Um, my favorite Star Wars books, like, in general, <laughs> across the board, have been books about new characters that don't feature main characters, like, cinematic characters that much. Um, because I don't I don't latch onto that stuff as easily. Um, but if there's, like, good new characters doing interesting different things, I'm like, yes, I'm in. Um, like, red harvest and like the darth maul book shadow hunter or whatever it's called i can't yeah. remember what it's called and that like one had a large original cast yeah with um my girl currently i've forgotten her name but that lovely jedi and lawn pavan and i5 love those characters so much and they turn up a lot in the eu books um and then you've got stuff like lost stars which i really enjoyed twilight company those are about new characters um and then alphabet squadron like i love hera but I feel kind of like partly it's Filoni. She's one of Filoni's characters, and he's probably got a plan with her. Um, so the ability to like do much with her probably not very high. Um, but also like I feel like if we'd gone into Hera too much, it would become a Hera book. Like, and this is not a Hera book, but a Hera book would be good. I would appreciate that. But I latched onto these new characters a lot, and if this had started going too much into like rebel stuff, I would have been like, "Can you not? Can you not do that, please?" Um, but I also think that's partly like that's not a criticism on Star Wars novels. It's just the different way that we engage with the books. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that one of the reasons this is a particular feeling to Star Wars novels right now, and you're not wrong. I think the argument of like what is 
worthy about reading a book is is a huge interesting conversation <laughs> but we're not but not for right now um unless we really want to do a four-hour podcast so about something they did not hire us to talk about <laughs> um, <laughs> but i think with star wars this actually connects back to the thing we were talking about with allegiances the rise of skywalker comic preview with the way the sequel trilogy has been in this mystery box we do not have a guarantee that any given piece of media will contain a, a plot point that feels like an event or that feels like it was part of the movies. And I think this is for two reasons. It's because of the mystery box around the sequel trilogy. And it's because we're all used to having an expanded... Like, we came into the expanded universe in the 80s and 90s when it was becoming established and it just got larger and larger and it was all in one continuity. And this is... The new canon feels disjointed in a way that... Uh, even though it is all still in the same continuity, because I think so much, as you said, Filoni's not going to let Hera be uh, too much information come out about her. And that's not necessarily the correct way to phrase that. I don't think it's Filoni himself sitting there going, you can't do this. It's the overall story group's protocols. But that is the kind of feeling you get from we as hardcore fans can go yeah we know they're not touching that character because she's going to be in something else and therefore we're immediately already a little bit emotionally checked out because we know what it's like as we said before to read a long story that feels like it has no information in it right and i want to make it very clear like, i think Seth, you make great points and i, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you're saying it's it for me it's more of a balance and i feel that like you said megan like there's just because or you know who has this or who has that that's kind of the problem is i think they need to pick and choose the characters a little more wise not wisely but a little differently of what they want what they want to do because i again i'm coming at this from a continuity aspect of like comic books where like once the character is created, like they are, are used unless they are like very, very beholden to the creator and that that creator has a lot of clout, et cetera, et cetera. You use it, you integrate it, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, I just want to have a balance and I feel like there's no balance with the novels, especially with the novels. Yeah, and I, think I do agree I'll, with that. And I think yeah. that is something that will hopefully change after rise of Skywalker comes out. That's Please, something yes. I've been, I've been very much looking forward to 2020 for this exact reason, because I feel like once that comes out and the mystery box is gone, like, that saga is yeah. done. It's locked off. There's no reason to hide away anything anymore. I feel like we'll start getting consequential novels. Thank you, Sav. And that ends this episode of Blaster Cannon. You can follow us on Twitter at Blaster Cannon Pod. You can also follow Megan at Blog Full of Words, Sav at Wanderlusten. And myself at Herman22 with two N's. Thank you so much for listening and downloading this episode. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 